WrestleZone Radio listeners and IRW fans and just wrestling fans in general, it's Monday. It's around 10.30 p.m. Central Time, and you know what that means. It's time for another edition of The Raw Rebellion here on WrestleZone Radio and the IRW Network. I am your host, as always, the Folk City Hustler, the wise young Jew, Jared Kushner's Russian back channel. And now, as I've been told, uh, I should be calling myself Bad News Berman. Uh, Ross W. Berman, the fourth, and I am joined tonight by Sports Radio 610 and former WWE NXT host Alex Del Barrio. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm good, Ross. I gotta, I gotta admit, I gotta like the Bad News Berman there nickname for you. I mean, we're not using it in WWE anymore, so I feel like, uh, I feel that gimmick and the statute of limitations has passed on that with Bad News Barrett. So I feel, uh, I feel like you can take that over. Yeah, my stance is as long as they're not working for TNA or WWE, I got a pretty good sh- chance to not get sued. <laughs> good point there. Well, anyway, we are uh, going to be talking WWE Raw tonight, July 17th, 2017. They were live in Nashville, and uh, we opened the show with Dean Ambrose. Ambrose walks to the ring, and before I actually start, I should mention I'm reading results off of WrestleZone.com. Much love to Lavelle Porter over at WrestleZone for uh, the indispensable play-by-play work that he did tonight. Anyway, Ambrose walks to the ring with a steel chair in hand and vengeance presumably on his mind. Ambrose's feud with The Miz reached a fever pitch last week. Ambrose introduces Music City USA to his new best friend, Steely Dan, the chair that he used to beat the tar out of Miz last week. And I I chuckled at the fact that the the chair is named Steely Dan. What did you think of Steely Dan? I thought it was. I thought it was okay. I, I, so it kind of. I, I get kind of annoyed with Ambrose sometimes because I think he tries to be a little too funny. I, I think he tries to force the the jokes sometimes. But I know that's kind of his thing, and a lot of people like it. So, um, it was. It, it was. It was okay. I feel uh, it. You know. But you know what I'm saying. But he does try to force the humor a little bit. Oh, absolutely. The man is a clown. He is a psychopathic. <laughs> cl- he's the closest thing wrestling has to the Joker right now. Pretty um, much. And uh, and yeah, he he seems to. As we'll see going through this opening preview, or this opening segment, he seems to have better relationships with inanimate objects than he does with people, friend or foe. Uh, so anyway, Ambrose yells for the Miz to, to get come to the ring so they can finish what they started. Ambrose sits in the chair and waits. Ambrose remarks that if Bo Dallas and Kurt Axel aren't enough, Miz can bring his publicist, his stylist, and the cast of the stupid Christmas movie The Miz was in. Um, yeah, I know. That, that that one got a chuckle from me. You know, it's when it's a, when it's subtle like that, and it's part of a kind of a series of things. He's being serious, 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 and then here comes the joke, and he kind of surprises you a little bit. Yeah, I, he's better at the jabs too. He's be like because the the big sweeping. I don't know. I guess you could call it like the Steely Dan is like an attempted haymaker. Like he's just trying right off the bat to just <laughs> right throw the biggest like spinniest punch that he can and misses but like when he gets those jabs in there every one of them land 
Uh, Miz doesn't come to the ring. Ambrose says, if Miz doesn't come out, he's going to burst Miz's Hollywood bubble so fast, Miz is going to wake up back on the real world where he belongs. Again, another, this was a good combo, but he, he'd be built up to the haymaker. He didn't just bring it out of nowhere. Seth Rollins then walks to the ring and asks Ambrose why he is asking for fights he can't win. So this is the end zone cast storyline. Last week, Ambrose told Rollins to stay out of his business, but Ambrose came out during Rollins' match last week. Rollins tells Ambrose that he is all over the place, and he should really come up with a better plan. Ambrose calls Rollins Mr. Plan and Mr. Architect. Ambrose says planning isn't his thing. That's Rollins' thing. Rollins says Miz involved him in this when he got in his way. Rollins just wants to know if and when he brings the fight to the Miz, is Ambrose going to stand next to him or be in his way? Rollins calls Ambrose brother, which enrages Ambrose. Ambrose says he isn't Rollins' brother. Ambrose's brother was were in the shield. His brother stood for something. He trusted his brothers. Ambrose says he doesn't know Rollins. Ambrose used to know someone who looked like Rollins, but that guy took a chair like the one he is holding now and stabbed him in the back with it. Ugh, that was... Uh... There's a lot going on. We're not even through this promo yet, but I just felt everyone could take a breather for a moment. Rollins yeah, says it, it started to get a little. It started to get a little heavy at this point because it starts to bring you back uh, a little bit, and both guys start to get heated at each other. And they, so I like, I, I kind of like the build, and there was like an emotion switch here, which tends not to happen in these opening promos. You tend to see like it's pretty much one guy coming out, calling out the other guy. The other guy comes out. They yell at each other until the GM comes out. GM comes out and says, "All right, we're gonna have a match. You're gonna pick a part." And you're going to pick a partner. We're going to have a tag team match at the end of the night. Like that's it, it, nine times out of ten, that's what happens with an opening promo on Raw, unless mm-hmm. it's leading to something in the main event. This 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 was a little bit better because it was building for a storyline a for next week, and and it kind of is not really clear on where where exactly things are going, except that all revolves around Miz and the Miz-Tourage. So I, I actually like the the switch of emotions here. I I agree until we'll get to when a. Here, where was I? When we get to the end, I'll, I'll kind of give my thoughts. Because I agree with you. This was a nice change in pace with how personal it was. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Rollins says that the incident Ambrose was talking about was three years ago and that he is sorry. He doesn't really say he's sorry. He, like, shouts he's sorry at him. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Rollins realizes that he's never said to Ambrose before said that to Ambrose before, but he means it. Rollins reminds Ambrose that they tore each other apart in Hell in a Cell, and Ambrose cashed in his money in the bank on him as well. Rollins has moved on. He wants to know what it'll take for Ambrose to do the same. Ambrose says he sees Rollins' lips moving. He doesn't hear anything coming out of his mouth, and then Rollins turns his back on Ambrose and tells him to hit him with the chair as many times as he needs to to get it out of his system. And this is where the whole thing started to make sense, because up until this moment, I felt like it was too personal to be in the ring. It felt like the kind of segment they needed to be backstage where it was mm-hmm. just the two of them. And I almost felt uncomfortable for them to have to have this kind of extremely serious moment in front of the crowd. But then when it became the big theatrical Jesus moment of here, let me pay for all of my sins, then it was, then I, I kind of, I understood. Uh, but that was not all because Ambrose, uh, Ambrose thinks long and hard before tossing the chair out of the ring and not beating down Rollins like he has been offered. And then Miz's music hits. Miz, Dallas, and Axel walk out on the ramp. Miz talks about what just happened in the ring as a touching country song. Miz says Ambrose is never going to forgive Rollins. Miz lists all of the times he's beaten Ambrose. Miz says he doesn't have the ability 
to, or Miz says Ambrose doesn't have the ability to defeat Miz, which, I mean, he makes a fair point. Dallas and Axel surround the ring. Miz says he may not be an architect, but Dallas, Axel, and Miz all pull out chairs. Miz and his cronies beat down Ambrose and Rollins, and Miz gives Rollins the skull-crushing finale on a steel chair. And wow, what a way to start Raw. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a high-impact way to start Raw, and there's a couple of things that are going on here that, that I really like in terms of uh, where certain things are going with certain guys. First of all, Miz continues to put together the best work of his career, and I know he's had some real uh, really high highs in his career and some low lows in terms of the way he's been presented and the people that he's worked with, and it almost seems like you know it's every other month he's the Intercontinental Champion feuding with somebody else over the last three to four years or so, but I finally feel like he's he's really made that Intercontinental Championship his and and the fact that he's kind of holding on to it and he's got this Miz Taraj, which makes so much sense for him to have some some kind of cronies uh, kind of behind him. And I think Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas are kind of the perfect guys for that. But, but the other thing that I like going on here is that they're starting to feel, I feel like they're giving more depth to Seth Rollins here a little bit because I feel like other than his initial appearance coming back from his injury, where of course you're going to cheer him and of course you're going to be excited for his comeback. And I think a lot of people were excited to see him beat Triple H at WrestleMania. We're not really told how we're supposed to feel about Seth Rollins. He's kind Mm -hmm. of been just like, oh, here's a guy who's really good at wrestling and he screams in the microphone a lot. But like him, you should like him. But why? Um and you're, you're inserting him back into a storyline here with Ambrose, so, uh, who I think is the more universally liked of the three former S.H.I.E.L.D. guys, uh, at least to some level. I wouldn't say he's the biggest star by any by any stretch of the imagination, but I think most people have a favorable uh, uh, belief or a favorable rating of uh, of Dean Ambrose. And I think inserting him into something here and, and I, the apology – was really interesting, and I, I almost agreed with you. I, re- I saw your tweet earlier in the night about this felt too emotional and it felt too real um, to kind of be wasted outside in the crowd. And I, 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 I thought I, w- I was agreeing with you at first, and then as this kind of went on, and then when when uh, when Rollins kind of stood in the front of the ring and kind of looked, def- he looked as much like wrestling Jesus as we've ever seen him because he stuck his arms out for I don't know how long, and it looked like he was being crucified right there in the front of the ring. And you're just yeah. It, he looked very open to it. That's for sure. He looked, he looked very open to, to sacrificing his body to to a chair shot or several um, from Dean Ambrose there. Now, that was a real powerful moment. And if you think back to some of the more powerful moments of Raw uh, in its history, a lot of them kind of take place in the middle of that ring. I, I'm not a big fan of things taking place backstage because I'm not a big fan of the skit format of promos where the people don't realize that there's a camera there. And I think in having these two guys kind of almost talk it out and hear from the crowd and their reaction to it, I, I really like that. And then, of course, you got to have the you got to have the heels who have the upper hand three on two. I know that they're not as accomplished as a wrestlers in Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas as the other two are, but uh, the heels need to get the upper hand. And I like that this that happened here so that the the baby faces can go to the general manager and say, hey we want to match against these guys. And that's kind of what happened. We'll, we'll find that out later on in the show. I, I completely agree with you. I, uh, when I sent that tweet out, it was in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the segment. I did, you know, it was in the, the midst of the storm, if you were the eye of the hurricane. And it just, it did up until the Jesus moment. It, I thought it felt too personal 
for the crowd, though I enjoyed the change of pace. And then when it it be, it then when we got that moment, and that moment was then tied into this very vicious, uh, almost atypically vicious uh, beating that the Miztourage gave to Ambrose and Rollins. I think, honestly, Seth Rollins has saved the Ambrose-Miz rivalry because this is probably where it would start to get stale, frankly, because of just how much we have seen them over the past year that now the Seth Rollins-Dean Ambrose apology, intervention, whatever you want to call it, now that that is tied into this storyline, it adds... Uh, not just a new chapter, but a new chapter that is grounded in the story that they have already been telling as opposed to just pulling some kind of uh, MacGuffin out of thin air. And I, th- I honestly think that Seth Rollins, in, in doing that, Seth Rollins has done a huge service to Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel because they came in when this feud could get stale, when it could just be the Miz Taraj versus Dean Ambrose. But now they're going to be working with, I mean, one of the more decorated members of Seth Rollins' generation. I mean, he's he's the figurehead, if you will. There's a reason he beat the King of Kings. And so I think it's going to be it's going to be a very good summer for these five men. Yeah, no, I I agree and I and I'm pleased to see them find a way to utilize Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, who I think both are really good talents uh in the ring specifically and I think they've just struggled to find their niche in terms of character. They they've had a couple of near misses with Curtis Axel, I think. Um, you know, with the with the Hulk Hogan, you know, thing that he did for a little while, and then even before that, just being the the son of Mr. Perfect. I think they've they kind of put the brakes on both of those, where I thought they were building some sort of momentum, and then just kind of hit the brakes. And then Bo Dallas, um, I mean, really, other than when they brought him up from NXT, they they kind of really, I feel like the writers on WWE didn't really get the Bo Dallas character from NXT and they tried to mm-hmm. it, it kind of made a cheap version of it on the main roster and it never really worked out. Um, so I'm glad to see them kind of utilize and Miz is great working with other talents. I, I don't think we give him enough credit for how he interacts with other talents, uh, especially with his Miz TV appearances, how he worked with Damian Sandow when Damian Sandow was an afterthought wrestler. Um, with the company, and then you know, part of that is the the, the talent uh, of the guys he's working with. But I think there's a I think there's an a, a, a element of if you're associated with the Miz, you're a bigger deal um, just by being associated with the Miz. And I don't think we really give enough credit for the Miz for kind of making that happen. Oh, and also the fact that Bo Dallas is very much positioned as the rebel of the Miz Taraj, because Curtis Axel very much taking his fashion cues from the Miz. He, he's wearing the same kind of suit. He's got the same kind of very neatly pressed hair, whereas Bo Dallas still kind of has the look he had before he joined the Miz Taraj. Yes, now he's wearing, you know, like a, a button-down shirt, but he's still wearing dirty jeans. He's still got that beard that's out of control. He's got the black glove as a tribute to his Wyndham roots. And so he looks for the first time like a standout member of a faction as opposed to just like when he was in the social outcasts and he was just, you know, Right. One of the social outcasts, and so I really I'm excited to and and again Curtis Axel is is he looks like a a superstar again as opposed to just uh, Curtis Axel. You know, there's been it's been a while since I think we've seen him in a suit since we've seen him look this professional. Yeah, he and, looks like Curtis Axel, not Michael McGillicuddy. Exactly, and so I'm yeah. really really excited to see where they go from here. And that's all we're going to get to know because then backstage, Miz tells uh, Charlie Crusoe he has nothing to say. He did his talking out in the ring tonight, and so this is 
this is all we get from that chapter of the story, and I'm I'm very intrigued. Next up, we get a number one cont- or we get a, a match between Bailey and Alexa Bliss. Uh, Bliss slaps Bailey in the face. Uh, yeah, this was a, a really fun, uh, quick match. These two always have great matches together. We'll cut to the end here. Uh, Bailey rolls up Bliss, but Bliss kicks out. Bliss attempts a clothesline, but Bailey counters her into a Bailey to Belly for the win. Your winner, uh, Bailey. Uh, what do you What do you think of the the women's division uh, this summer right now? The, this kind of I don't, I don't want to call it a, a holding pattern, but they seem to be trying to figure out where to where to go with the division from here. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, he had Sasha and Nia come out here, and it seems like right now that this is the women's division on Raw, these four women. Um, I, you know, I know there's Mickey James kind of involved in, in things as and, well. And, and Emma. Emma was and, actually tweeting throughout the night about the fact that uh, SmackDown Live uses their entire roster, and uh, Raw seems to only use these four women. Right, and 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 I th- and I think th- I think there's a reason for for that right now. Uh, this is why I was so against having two women's titles, and I, I'll, like, I like I understand you have to have two separate divisions because that's who you'll advertise on live events and things like that. So, just having not as deep of a women's division on the main roster. That's why all the I mean, think about it. All these women were all in NXT uh, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's it's just interesting, except for Sasha, and Sasha came up just shortly before that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you have to think of wow, if all these women were NXT at some point over the last two years, just where was the women's division before? And it, it's it's just interesting to think of how far it's come in a lot of ways in terms of the in-ring product, etc. But just how far they still need to go, and and I'm wondering how many of these, and this is kind of sidebars, the the May Young Classic uh, competitors will end up on the main roster in some way, shape, or form, maybe as just TV only talent, uh, just so that they can add depth uh, to both women's divisions. I think the SmackDown one is a little bit better, but you know, I was, uh, I said this to someone someone else just recently. It's that, uh, unfortunately. It, you kind of play the merry-go-round with the women's division, much like it is kind of the same way with the cruiserweight division. When you don't have enough depth to kind of recycle the roster within your own show, it makes it difficult to create storylines for multiple people because all you're doing is really just playing the merry-go-round game with, with, the, with the different pieces. So you, it's almost better to keep certain people off of TV so that when you put them on TV, it actually makes makes more sense. And I know that's not a good thing for people like Emma to hear. But uh, that's probably the better thing for her in the long run so that she'll be inserted into a storyline that makes sense instead of her jobbing out to someone like Nia Jax or Sasha Banks. Um, I think Alex is the best female in the company um, other, oh. other than other than Charlotte. Completely. Uh, and, and the reason and the reason I say that is because she she has that it factor that some of the other ones just just do not have. She's Ric Flair. She's the female Ric Flair. No, Charlotte is Charlotte, but Alexa Bliss is cut from that Ric Flair cloth, I feel like. Yeah, and Charlotte, Charlotte's fantastic. I, don't get me wrong. I think Charlotte has taken to this faster than any anyone could, could have possibly imagined. For someone who wasn't really even a fan of this uh, and kind of was, had two left feet when she started from, from everything that I've heard, and, and she's phenomenal in the ring. And and I think Alexa still has some room to grow in her storytelling ability. I think I think if you put her into like a 30-minute Iron Man match like a like Sasha and Bailey had at NXT at one point, I, I think she would struggle in that endeavor. And she would have to have someone call the match for her. 
but I think she's getting there. But one of the things she does have, like she has the best facials in the company, man or woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that goes a long way to kind of telling the story with your eyes. And she's phenomenal at that. And I think she gets heat naturally. I think, I think she's a true throwback heel in a lot of ways. Like there are, she makes you want to hate her, but you also respect her. And I think the Ric Flair comparison, actually, now that you say that, uh, I've never looked at it that way, but I think that's a pretty decent comparison um, to, to the type of reactions she gets. And she always gets a reaction, and um, she, she, she's great. I don't, I, I, and I don't, and, and here's the other thing: I don't actually don't mind seeing her lose. Um, if that makes any sense, um, in, in this situation with Bailey, um, because I think, I think, I think she is playing an old school heel. Now mm-hmm. I, I don't like her losing multiple times in a row, but I actually don't, I don't mind her losing the two ways that she did kind of a distraction a little bit, Bailey to belly. And, and then, you know, you, you, you kind of show her that has, that she has a little bit of a weakness. Oh, absolutely. And, I'm not and saying, gives, and it gives the baby face some hope here. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that she should be booked like Superman. I'm just simply saying, when I say the Ric Flair comparison, yes, I think she's a natural heel, but it really comes down to the fact that I honestly believe she's the only one on the roster, male or female, that in the middle of a promo will it probably at one point say to a fan, hey, fat boy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's the Rick that's the Rick Flair willingness to just go for it, uh, and so that's that's where that comes from. Because I do, I think whether she loses for the rest of the year or not, she's still going to be one of the greatest in the business in 2018. Uh, next, we get uh, after the match, we get Corey Graves getting another message from his phone and leaving the commentary desk, and then backstage, Kurt Angle pacing back and forth. Angle asks Graves if he should keep his secret to himself. Graves tells Angle this is the age of social media. It is going to get out no matter what. And so Graves tells, says he needs to go to the ring and come clean. In Graves' opinion, Angle has nothing to be ashamed of. And Angle thanks Graves for being such a good friend, which in wrestling means that Graves is about to be not a very good friend. Uh, what did you think of this, uh, this little teaser for the Kurt Angle secret? I really don't understand why Graves was in this angle at all. I've still been trying to figure out why Graves, who wasn't in the company when Kurt Angle was last in the company, Kurt Angle has not ever stepped foot in the performance center from all from all I know. Um, I don't think he would know, you know, Corey Graves at all in the interactions that he's had since he's been with WWE. So I don't understand why, if this is the end result, why would why would Kurt, who what I want to know is a who is texting Kurt and also getting the same messages. To, to Corey Graves. To Corey Graves. I get you. There, there has to be a, there has to be another step here that we have not, uh, that we have not reached yet, and I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, where we're going to, where we're going to get uh, beyond that point, because, um, because there's something, there's, there's something more here, because the whole Graves being inserted into this angle kind of kind of really makes no sense, especially with how much attention they've put to it of him leaving the announce desk every time to have this interaction. Mm-hmm. I think it's been good for Corey to have something that gives him a little bit more depth on Raw and perhaps puts him in a position that if he ever did have another match or if he got put into a role where he was alongside Kurt, uh, which I think he'd be great at any of those things if he got to do again, um, it, it, didn't, it still hasn't made 
sense yet why Graves is involved. So I, I always ask myself that whenever there's this this interaction. I, I agree. There's a lot even with when the secret gets revealed, Graves' involvement is still so shady that I gotta believe we're gonna we're not gonna know the true extent of it until WrestleMania or something. This this has long term House of Cards parody written all over it. Especially um, and I and I don't want to give it away, especially when uh, the uh, we'll get to the actual result of of the the whole thing, but especially since it seemed to be so negative for all the weeks leading up to this, but the yeah. result and the way it's delivered has been so positive that I, I'm wondering if this is a late swerve that they did and they changed their minds or if they're still going to deliver on on the negativity, but they made it seem like like he was going to be fired for this, etc. And based on the reaction and, and based on what eventually ends up happening, I don't see how you would come to that conclusion. Exactly. I have the same problem with it. In fact, and literally until Kurt Angle started making the announcement, the way they had edited all of the montages, the way that they had been very carefully scripting this secret, and especially some of the things they had been saying about what could happen if the secret comes out, until Kurt Angle announced it, I thought we were going to get a gay Angle announcement. I honestly thought he was going to admit some kind of deep secret, possibly about his sexuality or something like that, because it just it just had that it had that feel. It felt like something that was going to destroy him, and what it ultimately ends up being is something that, like, I don't know how you couldn't be just proud of that from minute one. Anyway. Backstage, speaking of things people should be proud of, Titus O'Neil has come up with a great new name for the Titus brand. It's now Titus Worldwide, which I am all for. I like the Titus Worldwide name. Backstage, he's with Apollo Crews and uh, Akira Tozawa. O'Neill points out how both of them have gotten beaten up in the last few weeks, and then Arya Davari walks in and asks if walks in and asks if Tozawa has any honor. Davari wants Tozawa to meet him in the ring tonight so he can finish what he started, and Tozawa agrees and so we're gonna get uh more from the Titus. what do you think of titus worldwide alex um i'm still kind of getting used to, to to watching them on raw to be honest with you um i, I like it for apollo cruz because as much as i like apollo and 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 he's a great guy and, a, and tremendous talent i've said this many times on a few other podcasts that uh, he wasn't ready for the call-up uh, at all and and, mm-hmm. and part of that is because he had little to no not that he doesn't have personality per se, but that he's never developed his wrestling personality, yeah. his persona, and to know what that is. And I think he's still kind of searching for that. Titus has all the personality in the world. And I think if it weren't for a couple of different things that he's you know, either been suspended for or, or other things along the way, uh, odd pairings or odd dealings with certain other superstars, uh, I think Titus would be kind of further along kind of in his career because I think, I think he's pretty as charismatic as they come and I, I think uh, he's probably at some point should have been the WWE champion to be honest with you oh I completely uh, because, agree I because could... I think because I think he's incredibly talented and I think it's kind of a shame that he hasn't been utilized kind of more in the ring but uh, but I like what he's trying to assemble here and using him kind of as a mouthpiece for some guys that don't don't that don't speak all that well on the microphone yeah it's it's really great to see Titus O'Neil used this way and it's it's a little unfortunate for Apollo Crews that I feel this way, but it seems Apollo Crews is so polite that he is just letting Titus O'Neil be the one that really takes the spotlight in this. Because Apollo Crews has definitely been a part of it, and Tozawa has just been Tozawa, which for me is kind of plateaued until they give him 
any kind of championship because the there's no development with Tozawa. It's just he's Tozawa, and here's different situations Tozawa is in. The only one that I have seen really grow throughout all of this is Titus O'Neill because whether this blossoms into a singles career, whether he becomes the 205 live GM, which I think a lot of people have kind of thrown out semi-jokingly or, or whatever. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I, I, he's, he makes a great managerial slash authority figure because he has so much personality because he's literally bursting with it. I mean, that was that was his big problem is he had too much personality and he made a joke to Vince McMahon about letting Stephanie McMahon go first. I mean, that's that's why he's in this position to begin with is because the man has so much personality that he maybe, like like many I know, can't... Uh, can't quite turn it off when he has to, but this is the wrestling business that's supposed to be a positive, you know? I, I'm actually shocked he hasn't made his way to a... I mean, he's done a little bit of this, but I'm shocked he hasn't made his way to a commentary desk kind of permanently, uh, and I think if there, anything happened to to Booker or, or even um, Byron Saxton on either of those shows that uh, don't be surprised if Titus O'Neil kind of, kind of fits that rolled down the road and you know i i yeah. think uh i think he's a guy that they could go to in in that situation if need be but even then i, I like and and i feel the same way about booker t and even to an extent jerry the king lawler i feel like titus is one of those guys where commentary has to be a last resort because i don't know if i want to yep. waste those facial expressions on the commentary booth you know what i mean no, i i agree 100 percent. i'm just saying that based on the way wwe thinks from being there um, that, they, that they haven't tried that yet had tried they, they try to pull people away from being talents all the time they've you know mm-hmm. whether they do it in developmental you know graves was a special example because he was he was hurt at the time but uh, and the same thing like with dasha fuentes she was a talent down in nxt uh and you know she got hurt at one point so she started mm-hmm. ring announcing shows and then they went in that direction with her. Same thing with 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 uh, Cody Rhodes' wife uh, Eden, who's Brandy. Obviously, her real name yep. Brandy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, she was a talent down in FCW, but when they brought her up to announce, she 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 announced, and she, even though she wanted to wrestle. That's all she did at that from that point forward was announced. So um, it's not unheard of for them to try to move guys into the announce desk and try to kind of move them that way uh, permanently. Yeah, but I mean that. I mean, just imagine. Titus O'Neil being a man, I, I can just see him being a manager for life simply for the faces he can make when someone kicks out. I mean, the man, just, he, the emotion, the, the man emotes like no other. Anyway, next we get some cruiserweight action. Brian Kendrick and Drew Gulak, who's uh, sporting a nice uh, new, like, fuller haircut, versus Jack Gallagher and Mustafa Ali. It's a very quick tag team match. Gallagher, Gallagher uh, headbutts Kendrick into next week. Ali tags in and hits the inverted 450 for the win. Your winners, Jack Gallagher and Mustafa Ali. And of course, we find out that next week, or tomorrow on 205 Live, Mustafa Ali drew Gulak in a uh, two out of three falls match. Uh, what do you think of the, the Ali drew Gulak no fly zone story? Uh, I, I, I like it. I like they're, they're trying to kind of get away and use the idea that, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to be flipping and flying, uh, to be a cruiserweight in the cruiserweight division. But the, the, honestly, the things I was looking at the entire time watching this match is like, did they run out of purple tape? Did, <laughs> did someone, did someone forget to pack the purple tape? And and that's all I could think through that because everyone was kind of tweeting the fact that they were red ropes. Oh, they're, they're the cruiserweight division is far. They're finally equals. And as I looked, well, you could say that, but I, I <laughs> or, see the cruiser. I could see the cruiserweight logo up on the on the screen. I see the cruiserweight logo on the ribbon boards, and I see the cruiserweight logo 
on the on the bottom uh, the ring on the digital ring apron. So and, and the crowd looks like uh, the Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka. <laughs> right, they're still using the purple lights. So either either they uh, forgot the purple tape, or they're only going halfway on the making these guys uh, true superstars on Raw. That's but, the only thing I could think of. This is WWE. I don't believe they take half measures, so I got to believe they ran out of purple tape. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if if somebody is going to get fired tonight for that. Well, you know who should get fired tonight is whoever decided to write this, the line. And because next up we get uh, Michael Cole saying, and someone who shouldn't be celebrated or someone who hasn't been celebrating for quite a long time is Enzo Amore. Cut to Enzo Amore backstage, basically dancing down the hallway, making <laughs> his way to the ring. Just so much swagger, so much cockiness. He looks like he's never gotten uh, even hurt for a second. Like I, I thought he was going to be out for su- towards. SummerSlam, considering the fact that he got beat up by Big Cass, but here he is. Uh, according to Lavelle Porter, it starts off with, Enzo says a bunch of dot, dot, dot stuff before finally getting to the point of sometimes you win some, sometimes you, you lose some. Uh, he, he cuts a very just Enzo, uh, very kind of Enzo promo about the fact that uh, Cass beat him up, but he got back up, which is is great, and then we get uh, Cass coming out, basically saying that uh, he beat the crap out of Enzo no matter how many times Enzo gets down, Cass is going to knock him down. And then the Big Show comes out, and we get a Big Show-Cass confrontation. What do you think of this Big Show-Cass feud? Uh, I'm honestly shocked that Big Show still wants to go out there and wrestle, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just... When I look at this whole Enzo cast thing, I, I, there's a few things that I think about. One, they did it way too early. Uh, two, it's exposing both of them like tremendously. What made Enzo and Cass work is that they both covered up what the other couldn't do. A, Enzo... I don't want to say... I, there's a lot of people out there that say Enzo can't wrestle. Enzo can wrestle because he can sell better than a lot of other people in, in the business. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is he can't he can't carry a match and his comebacks aren't believable. So when you see a guy Enzo's size try to come back, I mean, he's even, I mean, he's smaller than some of the cruiserweights and you're trying to say that he has a legitimate shot against someone like Big Cass. It, for some reason, visually, it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. And I'm not against the whole small guy wrestler thing. It's not, not that, not that it's just that in certain combinations, including this one, where you have one guy that's so much bigger, the other guy's so much smaller and nowhere near as technically sound as, say, someone like Shawn Michaels or a Rey Mysterio, and you just say, well, how can that guy come back and, and beat a guy like Big Cass? And on the other hand, Big Cass has never really developed a big, uh, tremendous move set. He's always been the hot tag guy, come in, throw a couple of clotheslines, a big boot, and it's over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so you've exposed both of these guys for their limitations. Cast has limitations on the mic, I think. Um, and, and obviously Enzo's limitations are what we just talked about in terms of his technical in-ring ability. So now you want them to have a match together. And it just seems it just seems weird. It just seems like uh, we are uh, we are ruining their potential by breaking them up kind of this early, especially because they, I think they were so over and they sold a lot of merchandise when they were together. But obviously Vince 
Vince thinks that Cass is going to be a big star. Um, so that's probably the reason why the breakup and, and now you won't have that combination. And, and, uh, as far as big shows kind of insertion into this whole thing, I don't know how much sense it really makes. It's just kind of like, Hey, Enzo, I'm going to talk about, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Enzo Amore and I'm going to talk a bunch of trash. And until you come to the ring, I'm going to powder out of the ring. I'm going to go into the crowd and here's my other big, the guy that's even bigger than you. That's going to come beat you up for me. Like how is that a ba- how is that a babyface move is is what I'm thinking just kind of psychologically like why are you cowering and and ducking out of the way and sliding out of the ring like that's not a babyface move that's a heel move a heel move to say uh, I'm gonna get out of the ring and this guy's gonna beat you up on my behalf mm-hmm. that's 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 total 80s heel thing to do is to kind of duck away from the encounter and have someone else fight your battles for you. So this whole thing doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I completely agree. And you you keep talking about how they keep highlighting all of these limitations they have, and they're not highlighting the one real strength of this, which is the heartbreak. They are not playing up the fact, outside of Enzo Amore's single tier, these two have worked so hard to be big, tough guys that they have ignored the simplest drama of this, which is that... Enzo Amore's character is completely hollow now without Big Cass. There's a reason he needs Big Show, and it's because he can't go out there and do his shtick without someone like Big Cass to back him up. It's like you said, it's a it's a heel move, but it's also it can also be portrayed as something very tragic. It can be portrayed as something very very dramatic. We could have had weeks highlighting the fact that Enzo Amore is this lost, you know. Uh, character without a without anything to re- without any character of of size to you know hold him down. He's like a, a balloon floating in the air, and it's like you said, he's not going to carry a match. So it's not like you have to have him go out there and continue to keep winning while he's doing this. He can go out there and have a you know squash with whoever you're trying to get over, and you can still play up the tragic nature of what got him into that circumstance. Instead, they're just skipping right ahead to the WrestleMania-esque equivalent of Big Show and Big Cass with just Enzo Amore in the corner. I mean, the beating Big Cass gave Enzo should have had him out for, for a month, For should have had him out for so long that people started to go, wait, is... Is Enzo coming back? Is Enzo still a part of Raw, or was that big cast feud just kind of the end of it? But instead, they've rushed through all of it, so nothing has any stakes, and it's just just two giant monsters fighting each other without any purpose. It's like those all the Godzilla movies without any subtext. Just right, it. exactly, and 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 look, and and I'll be I'll be you know, fair to Big Show here. Big Show, I think, has done a tremendous job of actually. Uh, getting himself in tremendous shape. I, I, I think the matches he's had, specifically the first one he had uh, with Braun, were, was tremendous. It was one of the best big man matches I've ever seen, ever. And, Amen. Um, and and I think I think that there's something to be said of the type of work that Big Show's been willing to kind of put in here. But you kind of throw him into this storyline. There's not. I guess he's kind of been interacting with the two of them at different times since they've been on the main roster, but really not really. And I, I, again, it's kind of, it's just an odd insert to, to kind of throw, um, I, to kind of throw him in here, I think. I completely agree, because the whole reason he's involved in this is because Big Cass was accusing him of attacking Enzo and Big Cass. And so he's only been shoehorned in to fight. Uh, big cast. There is no, you know, other weird moment they've shared together. Literally, his entire purpose throughout the entirety of their relationship has been, I'm here because Big Cast versus Big Show has to happen at some point. It just seems right, and I'm not going to be around much longer. So, like, let's uh, let's do this thing, guys. Come on, hurry it up. 
It's very, exactly. uh, it's, it's disappointing, especially because, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not Vince. I don't know how much money Vince can make with heel big cast, but it feels like there's at least a few wheelbarrows full of money per, per show. You know, there's just, there's something there, but, but not if they rush through it like this. Well, and and until you're willing, until you're willing to, here's the thing. I wouldn't have broken broken up the two of them until I'm ready to strap the rocket ship to Big Cass. Like yeah. that. That's like uh, if you're gonna have if, if Brock's gonna be your champ and you're gonna throw Samoa Joe into the mix and still have Roman Reigns and and if you're gonna build if if the rumors are true, which I I, I don't necessarily 100% believe, but if the rumors are true that they are going to build eventually to Lesnar and Reigns at WrestleMania, so that means we've got to wait until next March. And April to have a storyline for that to happen to before Lesnar loses that title. So then why, why bother taking uh, you're taking Enzo or breaking up Enzo and Cass when that just works as an act? It doesn't it, you don't need to put the titles on them. You don't need to really do anything from them. They're going to get a reaction at every live event and sell a ton of merchandise. So un, un, until you were ready to to. To, like when they broke up Sean and Diesel, mm. uh, the first, you know, the back in the day, they were ready to strap the rocket ship to Diesel when they did that. And if you if you weren't ready to do that with Cass, then you're kind of you're kind of wasting your time, and also you're running the risk of him failing so drastically that when you finally want to do that, the people aren't going to care. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's uh, that's exactly it. That's exactly it right there. All right. Well, now backstage, Charlie tells uh, Roman Reigns that since Samoa Joe has beaten him twice, how can he come up on top? Reigns says Joe's win against him are in the past, just like Reigns' win against Undertaker is. It's about tonight. Tonight, Reigns is the guy who's going to beat Samoa Joe. After that, he's going to beat Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam and become the new Universal Champion. Backstage. Ambrose and Rollins argue about what happened earlier tonight. Angle walks in and tells them they will face two members of the Miz Tourage. Ambrose says they will take on all three. Rollins agrees. We're going to have a handicap match next week because Angle books the match. And next we get the man who, frankly, should have been kicking off the show in Nashville, but I kind of like they held him back. <laughs> Elias Samson. And we will just we will skip to the end of this Elias Samson Finn Balor match, but first I want to bring up the point that Elias Samson at one point says the music in Nashville is terrible. And speaking as a folk singer, Ross Berman.bandcamp.com, uh if you have ever been to Nashville, literally every singer, songwriter, folk singer, country artist looks like Elias Samson. They have <laughs> they have the V-neck, they have the bandanas as wristbands, they have the beads, they have the beard, they have the they have all of it. Um, so anyway, him and Finn Balor have a, a great match. These two have really just been working amazingly together. I kind of like this since Finn Balor's come back, he has been beaten up so much that it feels like there's a bounty on him. You know what I mean? Like it feels like someone has put out a hit on Finn Balor in the locker room and just everyone, Elias Sampson, Jinder Mahal, whoever is coming out and beating the hell out of Finn Balor. Because by the end of this match, Samson gets frustrated with Finn Balor and just hits him with the guitar he was playing, which, if you know anything, means that they had to leave the strings on a guitar and hit a guy with it. Uh, normally, they do not have strings on it. That's why Jeff Jarrett was never playing that guitar. That's why Honky Tonk Man was never playing that guitar is because you put strings on there. It's, I don't know. I, I think they switched the guitar. I hope they did, but did you, see the, the did you see the photo of the gash on Finn Balor's head? 
I did, but but did you see how like well here's the thing he hit him with a guitar which of course if you're gonna be in Nashville you can't not hit somebody with a guitar. Oh absolutely, uh, I'm not it, against it, the guitar smash. I oh, just so, as... so that's gonna happen. But but I think Elias needs to go to the Jeff Jarrett school of hitting people with guitars, um, because he kind of like he didn't hit him over the head straight with it. Like from the, uh, you know, the, usually those gimmick guitars, you want to hit them straight with the back of the guitar, yep. right straight on the square on the head. And he kind of like, not only did he hit him like be, with hitting the face and the shoulder, but he also kind of twisted the guitar as he was he, like, he hit it, he threw it like a bat as opposed to like an overhead swing, like an axe. Mm -hmm. And I think by doing it sideways, like the corner of the guitar, like dashed uh, Finn Balor on the side of the head. I, I believe that. Cause yeah, cause he can't hit him straight on the head with it. Cause they can't do headshots with yeah. weapons. And so he had to hit him in the shoulder with it. Um, but even that, I, which is worse, which yeah, ended up being worse. But I could have swore, I could have swore they still the strings on it because the front of the guitar was basically intact. Because when you leave those strings on, it makes it harder for the guitar to fly apart. I've, I've I'd given. Have, I'd have to go back and uh, go back and look at it, get it, Ross. But it, it seemed to me because I looked for it on one of the replays that yeah. to see if uh, to see if the strings were on it, and it didn't seem like there was. But it, I mean, you could be right. I mean, I, I, but based on the replay I saw, I thought they had switched the guitars. From your from your lips to Vince's ears, like I really do. I hope they I hope they switched the guitars because the minute I saw that, I was oh, I was terrified because that that can screw somebody up. Uh, after the match, Bray Wyatt appears on the screen and says dot 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 stuff. This is from uh, Lavelle Porter over at WrestleZone, uh, and he also gets it. Bray Wyatt's uh, promos lately have seemed like they've been geared a little closer to his personal life than to the actual storyline. There's been a lot of like, <laughs> there's been a lot of like, you will not defame me, you will not, uh, you know, you will get, I will get my vengeance. My soul to this week was my soul is thirsty. It was very, um, I, I don't know. Every time I hear Bray Wyatt's promos, I worry about the guy a little bit, just a little, just a little. For some reason, Wyatt feels the need to punish Balor. Again, we're with uh, Lavelle Porter now. Uh, Wyatt is the worst nightmare Balor has ever had. Wyatt is going to rain down souls and such things on top of Balor. The best part is Wyatt is going to enjoy every minute of it. Wyatt laughs as the screen fades to black. So it's, it's looking like that's the uh, that SummerSlam for Finn Balor right there is Bray Wyatt. What do you think of uh, Wyatt and Balor? Well, I don't think you can get a bad combination doing that there with, with Balor and Wyatt. Um, uh, the one thing I wonder is what the plan is long-term for Finn Balor. Um, and I like I love Fergal to death. I think he's one of the – he's a really good talent. I think he puts a lot of work in um, to his craft. But there's sometimes that, that, that I'll watch a Finn Balor match and think I'm having deja vu because I feel like a lot of times it's the same match uh, over and over again. And I feel like sometimes he needs someone else – to bring his game up for him. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's one of those guys that tends to, especially if you have him with the same opponent over and over again, tends to get a little complacent and you need to have someone in there uh, with him kind of with a little more creativity. And I'm wondering if, if Wyatt is kind of the perfect combination for him there. But I think the thing that I worry about for him, especially being on raw um, is that he's already been the universal champion. He was the first mm -hmm. ever universal champion. So you would think that he's in that stratosphere up at the very top. The problem is, is that at the very top, we've seen Goldberg have the title for a little bit. We've seen now Brock Lesnar, the part-timer, now hold that title. Mm -hmm. And now Roman Reigns, 
uh, is kind of penciled in to, to eventually kind of take that title with Samoa Joe kind of mixed in there. So where is there really room main event wise for Finn Balor? Mm-hmm. Uh, un- unless you go with like a two year arc of him kind of struggling and never going back to the demon or if he's fr- afraid of the demon, you know, because we haven't seen the demon since mm-hmm. since uh, since he captured the Universal Championship. So I'm wondering, will we see that here in this in this encounter with Wyatt and how will that kind of switch things up for him? And is he a potential switch over to SmackDown to kind of maybe be one of the guys that will eventually take the title um, uh, the title off of Jinder Mahal? I, I have to kind of wait and see, but I, I'm kind of I'm honestly a little worried about the long term or at least the medium term future. Um, for Finn Balor right now. You know, I was I was too until I saw what they're doing with AJ Styles this year on SmackDown because I, I kind of had the same problem with AJ Styles. He's coming to the WWE. He's held the WWE Championship, so he it didn't feel like he could hold anything below that, not that any title is technically below it, but you know what I mean. And yeah. so now that he's got the U.S. title and he's doing this feud with Kevin Owens, it... I think however this AJ Styles feud goes will mean good things for Balor. Because right now they've got him in a good non-title feud where I think Bray Wyatt's wackiness and madness will drive Finn Balor to say, you know, I've had a rough year. I came back from injury, but I got knocked out by Jinder Mahal. I got knocked out by Elias Sampson. I've been kind of just in a holding pattern. It's time to bring back the demon. And so you get the demon versus Bray, and then... Honestly, if the main event is too crowded, I think it would be a nice elevation to see the Demon wrestle for the Intercontinental title because him versus Miz is not going to feel, you know, like a, a, a small league match. That's going to be – that could main event a pay-per-view. I'd watch a pay-per-view headlined, headlined by Balor versus the Miz, especially if the Demon is going for the Intercontinental title because the Demon has only gone for the NXT title, the Universal title, and if he goes for the Intercontinental title, it gives it a little bit of that shine that guys like John John Cena and AJ Styles have been able to bestow upon the U.S. title. And so I'd, I don't know if, if there's as much to be worried about as maybe you're, you're worrying, but you, you, you could be very right. Yeah, I think I think it's more along the lines. He's still going to be successful, and he's still going to be a very popular part of the roster. But, but you, you, what you what you hate is guys to get lost in the shuffle, especially guys like that. That, uh, you know, Fergal gets in his own head sometimes, and I think he feel like he feels, and I think deservedly so, should be at the top of the card, and I think he deserves kind of that recognition. The problem is. Um, when there's other guys in front of you, especially on the flagship show where they they're willing to put the belt on part timers that, you know, punching through that glass ceiling sometimes is probably a little bit easier on SmackDown than it is uh, on Monday Night Raw right now. I, I understand that. But I think with as crowded as SummerSlam is going to be, there's rumors that's going to be a lot of multi-man uh, and women matches that they're and the fact that he's going up against Bray Wyatt. So it's not like the. He's making the demon entrance against anyone. It's going to be the demon entrance versus the Bray Wyatt entrance. And so he's already guaranteed to be one of the highlights of SummerSlam, even though he's not in a title match, even though he's not in the main event. And I think because people will see, oh, Lesnar fought like three other guys, and oh, uh, there was the the four-way match for the women's title. And there, you know, because there will be so many, especially on the Raw side, multi-person matches, the fact that Finn Balor is just out there, and I, I can't see him losing to Bray Wyatt unless they decide to really overthink this thing. 
Uh, I think it will make him look like a star without having to force him into that main event picture. By the end of SummerSlam, if if they do this right, I think the crowd could be just so thirsty for a Finn Balor main event slot that that there is no forcing him in there. He's just already there. You, yeah, you catch it, my it, drift. It, it, yeah, I, I I catch your drift. But here here's the issue: SummerSlam becomes a five hour show very quickly, True. and getting lost in a five hour show. Um, there's ways to break through that. Obviously, AJ Styles and John Cena have had matches at SummerSlam that have have been the highlights of of, of those cards when other things have been the main event. Uh, well, I guess my only my my only point is is the show that he's on. It's not a, it's not about a singular pay per view. It's it's about how he'll be used for for months at a time. And I I start looking ahead for how he's going to be built up until WrestleMania. And the thing is, is the company now knows that he's a guy that has been injured and been at, injured for a significant period of time. And what happens when they believe that you're injury prone? They tend to mm-hmm. not put you in the best the best storylines moving forward. So I think, I think this will be a test. I think, I think you're right. How he's utilized and how this storyline goes with Bray, I think will tell us a lot about his near to medium future. And I think one for, for one, I don't think there's a guarantee that he comes out as the demon at SummerSlam. I think there's a, I think that's a 95% chance of that happening, but I think there is a 5% chance that they're going to hold off because they may want Finn to lose to Mm -hmm. Bray. Um, and maybe save the demon for something that they'll main event together. Um, so again, this is going to be a test for the, for that. But I, I think going back to the original point I, for Finn, he needs to rise, rise up his game a little bit. And I think an interaction with, with Bray and in this, this next few months, I think we'll, we'll see the best out of Finn Balor that we've seen in a while. I agree. He's got the best, the best is yet to come. Uh, next we've got backstage angles on his phone. Banks and Bailey walk into his office and both plead their case for why they should be number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. Angle says they're both deserving. Angle isn't going to decide. Bailey and Banks will. Next week they will face off and the winner will get a match against Alexa Bliss at SummerSlam. So next week we're going to get uh, Bailey versus Sasha Banks, another chapter in that storied feud and, or feud or friendship, whichever you want to call it, actually. Uh, so that'll... That'll be interesting. In the next backstage, we get Dash, Dash and Dawson saying they attack the Hardy Boys because why wouldn't they? They don't care about the Hardys or their legacy. The revival guarantees that after tonight, the Hardys will respect them. Then we get uh, cruiserweight action between Akira Tozawa with Titus O'Neil versus Arya Divari. Uh, Divari is working over to. Uh, we'll go to the end here. Divari is reckless, relentlessly working over to Zawa's shoulder, which he's been working over all match. O'Neill gets to the apron and tells the referee to stop the match, and the match is awarded to Divari. So the winner by ref stoppage is Divari. So there's a lot, a lot going on on Raw. We're going to get Banks uh, versus Bailey. Dash and Dawson are healthy. They're they're clearly have some beef with the with the Hardys, and now we've got Titus O'Neill stopping. A match for Akira Tozawa. What do you uh, let's 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 break this down. What do you think of uh, the Bailey uh, Banks match next week? I think we could get another tease for a Sasha heel turn. I think that's kind of a little overdue here, unless they're they're going to do some sort of swerve and have Bailey turn heel. Uh, I've really not been happy with Bailey's main roster kind of usage nor have I been particularly fond of her performances uh, since she's been on the main roster. Not all of that is entirely her fault. I think she's kind of been 
um, kind of pigeonholed into this fan thing. Her her promos have never been all that great, but yet they still seem to be wanting to stick a microphone in her face as often as possible to kind of, for some reason, showcase how poor she is on the microphone. Uh, and, and the love the love fest between Sasha and Bailey is interesting because I like to live in a world where the main roster and NXT operate in separate universes. Um, and for for people that don't know what I mean by that, is meaning while you can acknowledge their accomplishments in NXT, the people on the main roster, and when I say the people, I mean the fans on the main roster, aren't necessarily 100% familiar with what happened in NXT and how those storylines kind of began and evolved and how the 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 reason Bailey got so over in NXT is because she was a lovable loser. She was as much Daniel Bryan or Sami Zayn as anyone mm-hmm. uh, just on just on the women's side and that took years for that character to build that much sympathy from the NXT fans so that eventually people started to recognize, oh, she's actually pretty good in the ring. Sasha had built up to a point her heel status to a point that those two the good versus evil type of collision that they had at Brooklyn was was part of what made that match so special. Uh, and c- considering the things like the you know the stomping on the hand and sticking her hand in, in the in the in the stair staircase there and, and stomping on it, like the story that they told there was tremendous. So I think they're trying. If I'm if I'm correct here. It seems to me like they're trying to oversell this friendship and this over fondness of each other to the point where someone's going to turn on the other and, and try to make this as a friendship kind of turn bad. The problem is, is you're doing that same thing right now with Enzo and Cass. So when yeah. you do it, when you do it, you're going to par- you have parallel storylines going on at the same time, and it's not going to be as effective. In fact, it's probably more effective with, or would have been more effective had they done it with the women first and waited on Enzo and Cass, because I think I, I for, for my money, they, they, the match is going to be better yeah. for, for all that. You know, it, I, so, get, I get I, what I, you're I, saying. You know, so I I, I kind of think that that's eventually where they're going to go with this. Um, but don't be surprised if they wrestle to a draw and it's going to be a triple threat at SummerSlam. Yeah, no, I I uh, I honestly I see the multi-person WWE Women's Championship match. They're only focusing on four of them, despite the fact that it's a six-woman division, and so I it's it's got to be a four-way or something uh, therein. And I also I think you're completely right about the fact that it. it really is not helping that they're doing such a poor job with Enzo and Cass while this is going on because it even though we know the match between Bailey and Banks is going to be great even though we know that they've had great matches before that they can they can do this story the fact that it's going so poorly with Enzo and Cass gives that subconscious thing of oh, I'm not looking forward to this I'm not looking forward to more of Enzo and Cass like drama and so it uh it just it just sours what could be a very well-forced, great angle. Um, and speaking of forced yet possibly great angles, it's time. It's time. <laughs> oh, oh boy. It's time to talk about Kurt Angle's secret. Angle says he's a little nervous. Angle apologizes for being a distraction to the WWE Universe. Angle talks about how an action he took in his past would drastically alter his life. He says he's spoken to the WWE, 
and his family and are both very supportive of his announcement, which again was just pointing me towards that this is a personal like Kurt secret and not the kind of secret that it turned out to be. Because back in college, Angle dated a young lady. After he graduated, she gave birth to a boy. Angle had no idea the child was given up for adoption and the child was adopted by two parents who taught him great American values. Angle lists all of the child's accomplishments. The child eventually grew up and decided he wanted to wrestle. He eventually made his way to the WWE. And Angle introduces his son, the newest member of Raw, Jason Jordan. So what do you think, Jason Jordan, the son of Kurt Angle? So I think if the people that were thinking that this was going to happen thought it was going to be Gable that will eventually be the son of Kurt Angle uh, if they decided to do that. And that kind of was joking about it. I, I thought when they brought Angle in that he would actually come in and be Kurt Angle and have his new team Angle with American Alpha. Um, that, of course, obviously didn't happen. And they've seemingly broken up American Alpha here because they've used Gable a lot in singles competition and, and things like that as of, as of late. And, and I think they were trying to find something for, for Jason, who everyone likes in that company. He's a tremendous guy. He's one of my favorite people uh, from down in NXT. That being said, we talked about it earlier with all the negativity that had been put into the angle uh, up until this point in that Corey Graves leaving the desk and coming to angle and said, this could ruin my life and ruin my family to all of a sudden take an abrupt turn for Kurt Angle saying the WWE has my has uh, given me full support, and my family has given full support. I was like, well, well, well then what? You what were you worried about? Exactly. Because, that's why. That's why I thought he was gay. Is because it, it like this doesn't seem like a devastating secret. Oh, I have a son that's a super athlete, and it got over as a WWE superstar on his own without anyone knowing that he was my son. This is not. This is not a House of Cards scandal. This is this is a Mazel Tov moment. Uh, as my people would put it, this is this is very big. This is very good, and you know they just ran that WWE 24 special. We already know that Kurt Angle has been married to his wife for like what maybe five years, not even right. not even a decade. So it's it's not like he was he had has had this long term family life that's been ruined by some kind of infidelity. No, he just happened to have a kid a long time ago that he didn't know about until now. What, right. And what then, were and you so scared of? And, and it's not like and it's not like he would have abandoned the child based on the story he was telling because apparently according to Kurt the the that woman didn't tell him exactly uh, th that she was having a child and all that so so that's where this is lost on me the second thing that's lost on me is are there are there no nepotism rules at WWE how and and, and are there nepotism rules at WWE that Remember who's running the brands right, at the moment. Right, exactly. How, how is how is it? The other thing is is how is it that he gets traded to Raw with no compensation, at least that we know of at this point, to SmackDown. Well, and this so, is, this is why I pointed out the Emma tweets is because she's highlighting the fact that uh, as she put it, she's I think this is even a direct quote. She said she's not getting any quote unquote opportunities on Raw, and SmackDown just lost a superstar. So they're going to need to fill out that roster. I I I could see Emma shooting over. I mean, it's it'll it'll be a refreshing. I did not see Emma's tweet, so if uh, oh yeah, she spent the whole night basically just talking about how pointless it was that she was on Raw. It, it felt very much uh, like she like when Jack Swagger was talking about leaving Raw a couple years ago, or like uh, back at the beginning of the the brand extension. Right. Yeah, and so 
it's it's a fun move, but I think you're right. There is there's a lot of paperwork that it feels like should have been like filed. Like you know, it looks like according to Twitter, Chad Gable didn't even know that his tag team partner was being <laughs> taken away from uh, SmackDown Live when he when Jason Jordan entered. Michael Cole said that he was once a member of American Alpha, so apparently that tag team's done. Well, uh, uh, well, they brought him. Well, they brought him out with American Alpha logo on the on the video board. So you know, obviously they'll they'll do that because they probably haven't built anything for Jason Jordan. Yeah. Um, I I don't mind this simply because because I like Jason and I think this is this will allow him to kind of um, kind of to grow as a singles competitor because I think the American Alpha thing did not work as well. On again, this is another thing that doesn't. The reason American Alpha worked is because Jason Jordan, the Jason Jordan Gable thing, Jordan didn't want Gable to be his partner in NXT, and Gable repeatedly pestered him for him to be his partner after Jordan went through four or five different other tag team partners, and then finally agreed to Gable, and Gable was so entertaining and all that, that that made the combination work, and then they got over after that point. When you brought them up to the main roster, they were just the two guys who look like the world's greatest tag team, but they're not really world's greatest tag team. So it it never really kind of connected with, again, that particular universe. And they mm-hmm. never really put them in real storylines kind of either. So they've broken the two up. It's another th- NXT thing that didn't work because they didn't know what to do with them. And so I'm happy in that regard for Jason. He'll be utilized. And, and again, his personality is not really what Gables is. So I think aligning him with Kurt will obviously help him in that regard. But it, it was just so sloppily done. And yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for there to be more to this. And and again, why the hell was Graves involved in this? It's just that That's the one thing that bothers me more than anything is like, why would Graves – be the one that A is going to Kurt Angle and also getting the same text messages that are going to Kurt going to Graves, the rookie color commentator sitting at the desk. Yeah, I don't I don't get any of that part of it. Um and I also I can't I can't lie, I was I was completely for this segment on Raw. The Raw segment was perfect because it was basically Angle gave the whole buildup and then Jason Jordan didn't say a word. It was all show and no tell and what I saw in the ring was a guy that was ignoring the hard, was pretty much always ignoring the camera to look at his dad. It was someone that was not a superstar in an angle. It was someone that was trying to, to get some ring time with their dad. They can finally be father and son out in the open. It was an amazing performance. But then when they did the network interview afterwards, it just felt like your usual scripted WWE um, promo. There wasn't anything about Jordan's childhood, so there wasn't anything to really outside of the fact that he still loves the people that raised him because he doesn't clearly doesn't want to piss off the people that raised him, whether they're his parents or whoever the hell they are, because now it's all been thrown into disarray, according to the WWE. And so it's a uh, it just it just kind of sunk back down to the, the traditional storyline level, whereas the segment itself was so, so well done because it was show and not tell. And then when they had to do 15 minutes of telling, it just. Uh, it just deflated the whole thing a little bit for me, and now I'm I'm the same way. I'm really just kind of waiting to see what this means for Corey Graves. I'm not even extremely excited about Jason Jordan's solo career right now. I'm more excited about what Corey Graves is going to get into. 
Yeah, I'm willing to wait and see on on the Jason Jordan thing. But again, what I get worried about, not worried about, but what what bothers me more than anything is you build when you build up angles, you would assume that they would spend a little bit more time of knowing a what the end point is and b to to pay a little more attention to detail. But in this in this era of WWE, you just you just don't get that and and, and they. It, and they think that fans don't remember or they think fans are stupid and and won't remember certain things when they're trying to follow the storyline as you're presenting it from week to week they don't really care about the 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 recaps that you that you the video packages that you put together they remember as the as the as the story is happening mm-hmm. and and when you don't deliver on something which i don't think this delivered the the negativity in that in that I don't know that the fact that his life and his family and his and his job were in peril, we got we got none of that feeling um, after this announcement. Yeah, like that was I I just don't understand how you get the the information. Your son is Jason Jordan, and how you you can have any response other than awesome. My son's Superman. Great. <laughs> exactly. Cool. You know, I like the the man is a, a hardworking. You know very gifted athlete and so like i just i don't understand where all the drama was coming from why was he being so extra about it uh next uh we get a a a match that i'm don't get me wrong i'm glad we're seeing it on raw but i kind of also feel like is a pay-per-view match we get the revival versus the hardy boys a north carolina showdown we'll uh move over to the uh end of the match uh, Matt pulls Wilder out of the ring. Jeff hits a twist of fate on Dawson. Uh, modified poetry in motion by the Hardys. Jeff goes up top for the Swanton Bomb. Wilder pushes Jeff off the top. Jeff gets crotched on the top rope. Dawson pins Jeff with a handful of tights. Your winner, uh, the Revival. So they beat down the uh, not broken but not quite fixed. So don't put a lot of pressure on them, Hardys, uh, last week. This week they get a, a victory via a handful of tights. What do you think of the, the Hardys' uh revival rivalry that's hard to say hardy's revival rivalry as it goes on well i mean dash uh or pardon me dawson likes to say that that they're the absolute greatest uh, best tag team on this planet and i agree with him 100 percent. i've seen these guys Mm -hmm. wrestle um some of the best matches i've ever best tag team matches i've ever seen ever were done in small armories in Florida when they would wrestle American Alpha. I saw these guys wrestle 30-minute uh, time limit draw with American Alpha. Um, I've seen I've seen those guys I've seen those guys go two out of three falls with um, uh, the Vaudevillains wrestling two out of three falls matches with those guys. I mean they can go with anyone and they're they're absolutely tremendous and I think that they they have they can have great Hall of Fame type matches. Um, five-star matches with just about any tag team in the division, and I think uh, I think this was a great combo, and I think it was a good start. I think having a a cheat win like that on Raw to lead to some other match down the road, I think is good for, good for for those teams because again, I think babyfaces need to lose 
on TV so that they can win at pay-per-views. That's that's mm-hmm. the way I I think in terms of you know the old school part of me that the heels cheat on TV. You want to see the baby faces come back and get their comeuppance, and and that happens at the pay-per-view. You got to pay to see that. So uh, I thought that this was great. I thought the finish was fine. I I think the the cover could have used some work. Uh, I, I don't know what happened there. It seemed like that there was a little bit of a mix-up whether or not the fall was supposed to happen at that particular point. Um, and there was some confusion with the replay as well. But uh, I, th- I thought I thought it was a fine match, and I, I'm kind of excited to see where this feud goes moving forward. I agree. I, I'm so thrilled that the Revival are being thrown right into the fire with the Hardy Boys coming off. Uh, I believe it was Dash was, was injured. And this is... These two are going to have a very, very fun summer. Uh, very excited to see where this goes. And I, I, I completely agree with you. I can't wait to see the Hardys get their comeuppance, or, to, or the Revival to get their comeuppance at SummerSlam. Uh, next, we get uh, Charlie backstage with Samoa Joe. Charlie asks Joe if he has any qualms about facing Reigns tonight. Joe says he isn't a man who, po- who possesses qualms. Joe says he showed the world that he doesn't fear Lesnar. At Great Balls of Fire, he came within inches of beating him. Reigns has made the mistake of thinking Joe is just an obstacle in his way, but Joe is a force of nature. He will go on to defeat the Beast at SummerSlam. Another great promo by Samoa Joe. This is a guy who always great promo, great fighter, 100% great time. Excited for the main event backstage. O'Neal explains to Tozawa the reason that he had the match stop was because he was worried about Tozawa's future, but Tozawa is pissed he's having none of it tozawa says he wants a match against davari at 205 live and this was the moment where i was really like they better have that titus o'neill as the gm of 205 live because it just felt right having them ask uh titus o'neill to get them a match get me a, get me a match against davari at 205 live you have to sort it out i'm starting to wonder who titus o'neill goes to talk to um for getting these matches on 205 live probably has to like, go like who's he making a phone call to <laughs> He's calling like right now. Is he called? Maybe he's calling himself, and then he'll be the big reveals. Like uh, it, it was me all along, you know, to to being the GM of Two Hundred Five Live. I just, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's overdue. I just want to see like some backstage footage of like him sneaking over to a whiteboard and just kind of penciling in the Two Hundred Five Live uh, match lineup, and then just sneaking away. And then like a production assistant comes by and goes, "Well, there I go. All right, I guess that's, I guess that's Two Hundred Five Live." <laughs> Like right. there's there there hasn't been anyone booking 205 live. It's just kind of been people running in and just kind of writing their names in. What what I would really like is that you know Titus getting on the phone and booking a match or whatever, and then uh, someone hitting redial on his phone and it's it's a movie phone that he's been calling the whole time because there's actually no GM of 205 live. Oh my god, I would love that. That would be that would be abs- they they've got to have like some kind of company that's willing to let them use their customer support line for that i mean it would be perfect oh man all right next we got our main event the number one contender match between roman reigns and samoa joe and it's these two are always great together they're they're putting on an amazing match and then right in the middle of the match braun Strowman, fresh off almost getting murdered at great balls (laughs) of fire shows up and beats the tar out of both of these men. We get a no contest, but boy, I have never been more excited for a triple threat match than I am for whatever they do with Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and uh, Samoa Joe in the build-up to SummerSlam because these three together were so much fun. What did you think of this main event? 
Uh, I loved it. I think I think right now, um, and I'm going to throw Braun in, in a different category here, but mm-hmm. I think I think Joe might be the best talent in the company right now. Like, oh, like pound, he, pound for pound, hands down, for, hands kind, down, kind of kind of overall, and and to think of where he was and how he came in when he came into the company. Uh, it was it was right around the time I got signed. When he came in the company, he was still doing indie dates, and he was only kind of a part time. He was a part time NXT superstar. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he was used for because the NXT was starting to go on tour at the time, and they need someone to kind of put it in main event matches with Finn and and whoever else was in the at the top of the card at the time. Mm-hmm. And then it, it evolved into he was a full time NXT guy, and that's kind of every, well, what a lot of people thought he was gonna was gonna be. All he ever did in WWE was just be the NXT guy. And things obviously evolved from that point. And to see him be in the main event of a pay-per-view, taking on Brock Lesnar for the, the company, or at least that brand's top title, uh, has been really refreshing to see uh, for a company that probably never believed in a guy like Samoa Joe five, six, seven years ago, that they believe in him now. He's so good on every level, from his interviews to the way he works. His the 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 amount of intensity that he puts into his matches is is tremendous. So um, it's just been it's been fun to watch him, especially in that in that feud uh, leading up to the pay per view with Brock, mm-hmm. and then to kind of see him paired with Roman, who I, I'll say this to anybody, and I, you can hate Roman Reigns all you want. If you're if you're an internet fan, but first of all, you made Roman Reigns, and yep. you guys picked, and you guys picked <laughs> Roman Reigns four or five years ago, whenever it was when he had that dominant Royal Rumble when y'all wanted him to win. <laughs> and and the and the second thing to that is he hasn't had a bad match in two years. Amen, and, brother. And you, Amen. You can, you can look at any of the matches that he's he's been in where you booed the crap out of him, and he's delivered each and every time. Is he gonna? Is he gonna? Is he Shawn Michaels? Absolutely not. He's a total different type of wrestler. And if you can't get that out of your mind that he's absolutely a hundred percent the one of the most talented guys in the company right now then i don't know why you're watching wwe to begin with so to see these two guys paired together in a match i i actually loved seeing a non-finish what i don't like is that they didn't ring the bell i can't stand it when WWE <laughs> likes to do these things on tv more than any time in the world uh because you can't do it at a live event is where you don't ring the bell like ring the bell like yeah some, the, the, the match is ended the referee kind of powders out of the ring and goes stands by the ring announcer anyway so you can't tell me he hasn't communicated with the ring announcer or the timekeeper that the match is over I get it from a TV perspective that you're, you're trying to put the attention on Braun, but I just hate it that they don't ring the bell as soon as the guy gets disqualified. They could have rung, rung it once and then had, had Braun wreck havoc. Braun, is, again, in a separate category from, from Joe, I just called Joe probably the best, most, uh, probably the best talent in the company overall. Mm-hmm. Braun is kind of in this, he's, They've tried this with big men all the time. Vince is infatuated with big big men, especially guys Braun size, because Andre the Giant is a guy that ran his company for basically the, you know, since he when he bought it from his dad, mm-hmm. and he was the, he was the the main showcase guy, and he's had big big guys throughout the years from Big Show who had a, a pretty impressive run through the years, um, you know from from Kane to the Great Kali and Giant Gonzalez, and uh, you, you can go down and look at how many truly big men showcase guys that they've tried to develop. And some have had good careers and some have had bad careers. So Braun fits into, that's why they signed him because they wanted him to be this, Mm -hmm. but not everyone turns into what Braun is. And Braun is the most athletic 
big man of his size that I think I've ever seen. And for a guy that had two left feet from everything, I, he wasn't down in, in Florida when I was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for a guy, for a guy who had two left feet when he started, from everything I was told, to what he's doing now, he, he's he's just been he's tremendous, and mm-hmm. I I loved everything about uh, about the the interaction there at the end. I think I think Strowman continues to to impress each and every week. I when I when he had that match with Big Show a few months back, um, I, I was thoroughly impressed with that because it's the best big man match I'd ever seen. His feud with Reigns has been great. I would have made different decisions along the way, but I think both guys have been well protected in, in beating the crap out of each other and kind of retorting on each other. So uh, I love where this is going, and if it leads to a, a fatal four way at, at SummerSlam against Brock Lesnar, by all means bring it on because I think all four of those guys can can have a tremendous match with each other. I completely agree, and I th- I, I have a. Uh, a general rule with WWE where the worse they talk about someone on television, probably the either the better they view them or the more they're trying to get them to prove themselves. And so when they had Paul Heyman pretty much weekly calling Samoa Joe a bastard Samoan, I knew that Joe was going to be there. They've finally like warmed up to Joe because th- once they start giving him that kind of treatment, it's all about him just showing up and, putting on performances like he did against Lesnar because he had he had no fear. And I, I completely agree with Roman Reigns. I maintain anyone that uh, doesn't like Roman Reigns, hasn't seen him wrestle live, like live, live in the arena. He's amazing. It's he, I saw him in styles of just a thrilling match. Oh, uh, he's in, in live events on, on house shows. He's even better than he is on TV. He's 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 just great. He's uh, yeah. fantastic. The, I have no bad things to say about Roman Reigns. Amen. Me neither. And same with Braun Strowman. I think yeah, I, I had no idea he had uh, two left feet in the beginning. I knew he was I knew he was green, but I had, I didn't know that he has come quite as far as he has because you're right. The man the man moves like a cruiserweight. It's amazing. And I, I just think that if this is if this is the uh, the fatal four way that people keep kind of complaining about because it's you know multi man matches, it's lazy storytelling, blah blah blah, it's gonna be too good a match for any of those to really matter. I mean, these guys are gonna go out there and tear the arena down. You have four of the biggest men in WWE, or three of the biggest men in WWE, or even just two of the biggest men in WWE. All all combinations of those four men, I think could make main events for years to come. Yeah. And for people that hate multi-man matches, I guarantee you, if you were a wrestler in the company, you, you had no, you have no problem with them because, <laughs> Amen. because, because, uh, because that means other guys, that means guys are getting paid. Yep. And if that, if that's a way for guys to get paid, to be on, on the bigger, bigger shows of the year, I, I kind of dislike it from a WrestleMania perspective because I think there's a certain level of, of prestige to competing at WrestleMania that, Mm-hmm. It's not not quite what SummerSlam is. I under, SummerSlam's prestigious. Obviously, it's the biggest event of the summer. That's not just hyperbole or promotion. That's in actuality based on the size of the show and where it is historically in the company. But I think I think you can do those multi-man matches better off at SummerSlam than than you should be doing them at WrestleMania. When I think you should have storylines mm-hmm. between individuals kind of coming to a head. Uh, but again, I'm all for guys getting paid and I'm all for guys being on the show. And I think based on the way that these four guys have interacted over the last two months, I've actually think that this is the, the best writing that raw has done in a while in terms of intertwining two different kind of feuds. If this is eventually what we get as a fatal four way 
between the three that were on Raw and Brock Lesnar, they of, of combining two feuds together to form one match. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. The pacing of the past two weeks of Raw, especially, has been breathless. I have last week we have had the overlapping tag teams. This week we just had everything. Nothing went longer than it should have tonight. Tonight was not a Raw that had me checking the time. It was just a straight on full-fledged uh, balls-to-the-wall edition of Raw, and I'm, I'm excited to see more of that as this summer goes on. And I, I completely agree with you about the multi-man matches. Get them paid, get them seen, get them protected, because only one guy's got to take the fall. So uh, it's that's an excellent point, Ross. That's an excellent point that other other times people don't get is in the in this era where you have superstar versus superstar matches every week on television. Mm-hmm. And now that you have two rosters, you're not you don't get to protect guys like you did in the old days. And um, multi-man matches allow you to do that because a you're right. Only one person takes the fall. And you can always play off the fact that there were it's a grueling match with three other superstars in it, three of three other superstars in their prime that, you know, obviously someone someone had to lose that one, um, you know, and, and everyone kind of saves face, even the one that takes the fall. Yeah, I said uh, about a month back when they were starting about a month back when they were starting the real post WrestleMania push to SummerSlam that there were a lot of problems with Raw, but there's a, a small crack where the light gets in. And now I got to say. The summer is so bright that I gotta wear shades. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun heading towards Summer Slam. And uh, speaking of a lot of fun, Alex, this was our first podcast together. I had a blast. What'd you yeah, think? Me, uh, me too, man. Uh, I've had a chance to host with a couple of different guys, Ben Hameen, uh, uh, one of them, and mm-hmm. um, I, I had a blast hosting with you. This is my first Rob Rebellion. I've usually been doing the SmackDown ones uh, every now and then, but th- this was fun to kind of break down Raw, especially on a big night. Kurt Angle is one of my favorites uh, when I was in college, and, and it was nice to see uh, uh, my first Raw Rebellion be something I could comment on with, with both Kurt Angle and one of my favorite guys from my time down in Florida, Jason Jordan. Absolutely, absolutely. Where do you want to send people before we uh, wrap this up? What do you want to plug tonight? Uh, people can follow me on on Twitter at uh, Alex Dobario is my Twitter handle. Um, and there's a couple of different wrestling promotions that I'm involved with, including Inspire Pro Wrestling. So for any folks that are in the uh, Austin area, uh, we have our next show coming up in September. Uh, but we have all of all of our content on our website, InspireProWrestling.com at InspireProWrest. I'm also uh, working and doing kind of creative work, uh, including doing some uh, promo classes with uh, Domination Zone Wrestling. It's a wrestling school out in Katy, Texas, and you, you guys can find uh, it's DZW Wrestling uh, if people want to take a look at uh, at what we're doing. Um, DZW Wrestling. Uh, on Twitter is the way you can find it. DZ, it's actually DZ Wrestling, DZW, but DZ Wrestling on Twitter. And you guys can uh, check out both of those promotions. I'd be, uh, be more than ha- I'd, I'd love for you guys if you guys are fans of independent wrestling. Those two promotions, I'd love for you guys to check it out. Awesome, great. And I, as always, I'm at Ross W Berman IV on Twitter, RossBerman.BandCamp.com. I'll be back next week with the Raw Rebellion. I'll be back on Saturday with uh, Mike Killam and John Jansen. We'll be breaking down the first four days of the New Japan G1 Climax. And uh, until then, keep on listening, keep on uh, watching, and thank you for your time. Good night. Here's the story. One and three. Richard and his grandson, Dickie Lee Up on a hill by a lone poplar tree Sitting there peacefully, one and three Richard said your father's dead, you see 
fell off a boat and now it's you and me you were named for him dickie lee your kingdom stretches as far as you can see Sat till sunset by the poplar tree As the sky turned red and the grass grew free Richard warned his grandson, Dickie Lee He had better stay here by this old tree Dickie Lee asked, why must that be? If my kingdom stretch as far as I can see Then why am I stuck here by this old tree? does that say about what could be? Richard said your father wandered free. Stayed late at bars that closed at three. Till he was swallowed up by the sea. Heaven just ain't worth the cost of Richard died beneath the poplar tree As he sent a dove across the sea Following the dove was Dickie Lee Off in search of his own poplar tree So that's the story of one and three Richard and his grandson Dickie Lee Might ask yourself what's that to do with me See, sometimes we're one, but mostly we're just two and three. <laughs>